Amen. I'm going to ask for grace in advance because my body is not feeling as strong as it normally is. So I took the moments during worship, as you probably have seen. I love moving with Jesus. I have a loud voice, and I scream and shout, and today my voice can't handle it. So I was sitting and just receiving, and I'm excited for what today is going to hold. Um, what Chris mentioned at the beginning caught my attention, that word intimacy, I think is hovering with us today. The minute I came in this morning, um, the countdown was a little bit quieter than it normally is, and, and the place is not as full as it normally is, and There's something about the timing of the day in and day out and the ebb and flow of life that sometimes we're pushing for it to be something, but actually today there's a sense of intimacy and a sense of just being in the house together, yeah? I was reminded of the all nights, not all night, we'll do those soon, but all, all church prayer and fasting on the 11th, a couple of Wednesdays ago, and we had an amazing evening just pursuing God, and we were led by Phil as, as usual, and, and Mark stepped in and led one of the sessions into to Brexit and government, and then Steve did something interesting that I haven't gotten a minute to tell him yet, but it was fitting. Oh, it just made my spirit soar because with such care and, and wisdom, he invited us all forward and had everyone up front here, and he kept saying, just think of it like it's your living room. Just think of it like you're hanging out with your life group. And it was so precious what we went into in this altar, as it were, and being together. And for those of us who could, we all stood together and we had some people sitting on the front. But that freedom to walk in intimacy and be known by one another in that place. That often when we come into a prayer meeting or we come into a Sunday morning, we struggle to know how to act or how to move or what to do, and there's a certain protocol, there's a certain way, and sometimes that keeps us from moving into the more, into the intimacy that God wants to engage with us in, right? Am am I making sense? Are you with me? And sometimes it's just a little bit different what he wants to do, just a little bit different. didn't really cost us anything to come up front, and yet you felt it, the uncertainty, the question. That's why I love the voice of the elder and the leader of that moment saying, the father of that moment saying, it's okay. We're just praying together. We're just moving together. We're just listening to God together. And everybody can listen to God. Everybody can hear. And that engagement in intimacy is what Papa is taking us deeper into in the days ahead. And intimacy requires vulnerability, right? Intimacy requires a slowing down and a tuning in and a listening in a way that you may never have listened before. Yeah? Does that make sense? This is not at all where I'm going, but it's in my heart, so I'm running with it. Intimacy requires so much from us because most of us have a pace of life that we move at, right? We have a pace of routine. We have a pace of our family life and our work commitments and our relational struggles and ups and downs, right? And triumphs. That There's a pace that I don't know about you, but often it feels like a wheel that we're running, trying to catch up. And in the middle of that, God says, I require your heart. I don't want your actions. I don't want your movements. I want your heart. I want your emotions. I want your process. I want your heart. 
And we might say, God, isn't it enough? (laughs) Isn't it enough that you have my prayer and my daily Bible readings? Isn't it enough that you have my entire schedule? Isn't it enough that you have my life? This is what I've given you. And it's what Chris challenged us last week as well, that all of giving up to get the treasure. That's ringing in my ear this morning, intimacy. I require intimacy and not sacrifice. I require obedience in intimacy. And I got to tell you, as a journey of intimacy, I'm still trying to figure out what that looks like. Not only in a, in a personal relationship, but in a God relationship that I've known him my entire life. I've convinced we've been walking in intimacy. And the minute I run to him, do you have the same way? You may have known him for 20, 30, 40 years. And you go up to him face to face. You get that moment. And you're like, we're good, Lord. We're pushing in. We're growing. I'm hearing from you. It's, and then he says, no, I want this. And that's like 10 steps ahead of where you are. Are you with me? And you're like, what? How do I even do that? I thought we were good. We were moving. We were healthy. We were. And you kind of get that recalibration where he's saying, no, I have so much more for you than you could ask or think or even possibly imagine. So my question is, do you want it? Do you want to sit with me? Do you want to seek my face? Because when you seek my face, you will always find me right? Those are his promises. And then we wonder why we're down here running around in circles like dogs after our tails. Or maybe that's just me sometimes. So that sense of intimacy, it's thick this morning. I'm warm, right? I'm, God, you're here. You are here moving in our midst. You are here mending and tending hearts. You notice those words are not a quick fix. Those words take time. They take effort. They take involvement. They're not a magic trick. And again, I don't know about you, but I've spent a lot of years going, God, just fix it. God, just break it. God, just change it. God, just do something. There is power in your name. So come on. Show some power. Do it. Yeah? And that frustration, that tension in our hearts of trusting the God who is and was and will always be and knowing that we love him and we are his sons and his daughters and we have access to everything in life and godliness. But the tension of what's happening, where and how. And I told God this morning, I was having a conversation because we do that. It took me a lot to figure out what this day was going to look like. For weeks, I'm asking and looking, and nothing was coming, and I woke up this morning, and it was just like, peace, this is where we're going to go, and I said, the thing about talking, the thing about teaching, the thing about authority is, generally, before you talk about it, you want to be doing it. There's an aspect of authority that it's, (laughs) it's better when it's in your heart and in your life, so I'm a little bit apprehensive about this topic today, because I'm like, Lord... I'm not doing it enough yet to bring it. And he's like, exactly. So it's going to be tender. It's going to be honest. And that's how I want you. I'm like, <laughs> but I'm really good at moving and directing and leading. And he's like, yeah, but we're going to work on the tender and the honest and the open. And so he was talking a lot about timing. He was talking a lot about seasons. When I was in Scotland last summer, for those of you, well, I live my life for others to see, so most of you know the journey. When I was in Scotland last year for that six weeks, 
in between transitioning from London to, to stepping into Wales and, and all that would entail. Um, I had a six-week seminar school where I was able to go to Scotland for the School of the Word and Spirit. And at the beginning of that school and all through the school, we had prophetic opportunities to pray and to listen. And the very first day, so they didn't know me. They didn't know anything about me. very first day, we're having a prayer time, yeah? That's why prophecy is so cool. Promises, you know? And he, he was one of the students in the school with me, and he came up, and we were all walking around the room. Yeah, it was that element of just praying. Whatever God says, you're releasing. And he walked up, and he said, April. Again, we haven't really met. April. April. I keep asking God, and the only thing I'm getting is April, May, June, July, August. He said, it's weird. I kept asking for something else. And he just kept saying, April, May, June, July, August. And he said, I think there's something about the order of the months and that April has to come before August. And it was one that he threw out, and I was just like, I don't really get that. Now, that's a year and a bit ago. (laughs) And I've been reminded time and time again that there are a certain timing and a certain way and a certain process to the way God works. Again, we know this in our heads, and I've got that passage in Ezekiel, not Ezekiel, Ezekiel's good too, but Ecclesiastes 3, right? We know this passage that there's a time for everything. Yeah, a season for everything. There's an occasion for everything and a time for every activity after under heaven, time to give birth, a time to die. So it's Ecclesiastes 3. Really the whole chapter, verse 1 to 15, the first eight verses you could just dwell in and listen to God and try to figure out, am I in a season of birthing things? Am I in a season of death or grieving or mourning? Am I in a season of excitement or am I in a season of loss? Am I in a season of training or am I in a season of action? You know, those Those seasons, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to tear down, a time to build. We know this passage in our minds and in our understanding of how God works. And then verse 9 says, what does the worker gain from his struggle? I have seen the task that God has given the children of Adam to keep them occupied. (laughs) He has made everything appropriate in its time. Or other versions say beautiful in its time. He has put eternity in their hearts. But no one can discover the work God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and enjoy the good life. It is also the gift of God whenever anyone eats, drinks, and enjoys all his efforts. I know that everything God does will last forever. There is no adding to it or taking from it. God works God works so that people will be in awe of him. Whatever is already has been, and whatever will be already is. However, God seeks justice for the persecuted. And I think last year after this word was the first time that I actually started reading (laughs) the second part of the chapter. There's a time to die, a time to heal, a time to kill, but the fullness of that that is so much trust 
that again, I don't know about you, but I realize I say I trust the Lord. I have learned to trust the Lord. But when it push comes to shove, I still have a lot of April in my life. A lot of me wanting to put my hands on things because I'm really good at sorting things out. It's been a lot of years of practice. And what's beautiful is over time, I can look around here and maybe some of the generations above me would go, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I've learned those lessons. I've seen that in raising my children, seen that in work situations that have changed over the years. And I would put forth this idea of timing and season also applies to the spiritual realm we're walking in. So again, Chris led us into that. There is power in the name. There is openness. There is revival. There's, there is things that are coming. There is breakthrough. But how many of us get a little bit complacent or a little bit comfortable or a little bit disappointed and we don't actually see that there's a time for life and freedom because we've been in a time of disappointment. You know? You may say, yeah, I know times and seasons move. And I I say, I thought this word was a little bit just duh, to be honest with you. I thought, God, why do I need to bring that on a Sunday? That's not enough for a Sunday. There's got to be something else. And it was just like, no, because I got a lot of weights on my people that I want to break off because they're not catching my ways. I've got a lot of weights on my people because they're not catching my waves, my ways, the way that I operate, the way that I function, the way that I do things. April has to come before June, April. Summer has to come before autumn. And autumn will come before winter. And winter will come before spring. And then spring breaks forth into summer. You can't jump a season and you can't skip a season, and you can't stay in summer no matter how much we want to hold on to the beautiful days that are out there. Autumn is coming, right? We know that in the physical. Let's get out our winter coats. Let's get out our cardigans, our scarves. Let's adjust. Do you realize it's the same in your personal relationships, your personal walk, and it's the same in the kingdom mentality, and I love, there's a verse in, I didn't give this one to them, but if you want to take it down, First Chronicles 12, 32. You know, the, the tribes of Israel, there were 12 of them, and one of the sons of Israel was Issachar. Yeah? And there's a part where this is about King David, First Chronicles 12, 32, and this is the transition from Saul into David. And speaking about times, he was anointed as a teenager, But the season didn't set forth for him to walk into the fullness until so many years later. Right? So this is that moment where the tension of the transition is coming to pass in Chronicles. And you have this phrase that's very quick that says, The sons of Issachar who discerned the times and the ways of Israel came to stand with David, and they brought 200 men. Thank you, Dallas. The sons of Issachar discerned the times and the seasons and the way. And a couple of years ago, I started praying that, Lord, give me that anointing, give me that way, make me a son of Issachar so that I can discern what is happening. Because, for instance, last year, when everything happened personally for me, I had to leave London. I had to leave eight years of ministry and growth, and I had to leave not being fully understood from the ones around me that that season had come to an end. 
And if I couldn't grow and learn and see and receive that there's a new season to walk into and to take claim from, I would have stayed in summer when God said, it's time to move to autumn. Like, it's time to move. And it was interesting because another woman in, in Scotland said the same thing. She said, you can't hold on to a season that's gone. That's immature. It's ignorant. And you will no longer fit in that season that is now gone. And then I go, Lord, how do we know the seasons then? And he says, well, ask of me. (laughs) Seek me. You know, we come back to the intimacy word. Are you with me? Do you feel the thread? Because we cannot discern the times and the seasons on our own. We cannot mark the times, right? Ecclesiastes tells us he has marked it. It is declared. It is decreed. It It is there. And we've talked about it, and it's beautiful. We had other, I think, I think Stu was the one who talked about the weight and the seasons of the weight, that word we had had about the kairos and the moments of timing and so many elements to this picture. But for today, I had that linked with, and I want to go to 2 Corinthians 3 because, again, we are weighted down by things because we don't understand his ways. And when we can see his ways... And embrace the times and the seasons and trust the one who has marked it, the one who has the plans. It's a little bit easier, right? We breathe and we move easier. So 2 Corinthians 3 has this this whole chapter and it's beautiful. I think I am going to read most of it because I love the word of God. How many of you know that the word of God preaches? This was in my heart this morning. Stu and I have been reading. We've started a, I don't know, it's a tradition. Because we overlap in the kitchen, and he gets more stressed than I do because I'm a little bit around, and and he's very systematic, right? (laughs) So when we overlap in the kitchen, he gets stressed, whereas I'm just kind of moving, and then I don't understand why he's annoyed. So now he works in the kitchen, and I pull a beanbag up, and I sit, and I read the Bible while he's cooking. So we read out Timothy, we read out Titus, we started some Hebrews because I realize I'm busy moving, so I don't always just read the Bible. And I don't, I don't think it's bad to study, don't get me wrong, to study, to grow, but Ezra talked about eating the scroll, it being sweet as honey to you. So eat the word of God. Don't just do word studies or commentaries or eat it, just read it. Because what we realized when we started with Timothy, because we've been talking a lot about parenthood and, and spiritual parenthood and, and leadership and growing in who we are, and Timothy was Paul's son, right? And so I thought, yeah, let's just read Timothy. And you're listening, and you know how good we are at turning letters into sermons? Let's be honest. It was a letter written to his spiritual son who he was saying, here's what you need to do to work in church leadership. And we have five-point sermon series and eschatology and hermeneutics, and we have all of these things where Paul was writing a letter to his spiritual son to say, this is what you're going to have to deal with. This is where people are crazy. This is where you need to grow up, the men and the women. This is where you need to humble yourself and guard yourself as a young person. This is what you need to be aware of. And we both were looking at each other just saying, why don't we just read the Bible more as people of God? Yeah? Why don't we just read it? Why don't we just let it speak for itself instead of, and maybe you're not that way. I grew up in a background that very much studied the word versus reading it. 
And I think there's a fresh intimacy to just read what the man of God was saying, inspired by the Spirit of God. So I, I felt that today too, just to release that. Over, just read it. You don't have to understand all of it. You don't have to know the cultural context of everything. Then you can go and ask questions. Say, this came up and I thought it was a little bit weird. Then you're moving together in relationship, in your life groups. See what I mean? You can grow together just by reading. The simplicity of reading. Not analyzing, understanding, comprehending. Read it. Eat the scroll. So I do want to just read 2 Corinthians 3 and let a couple of things drop out at us. Drop, jump out at us. So the context of Corinthians, right? You had Paul writing this church, continuing to try to bring order because they were loud and rambunctious in Corinth. They had very strong worldly ways that they were mixing with godly ways. And, and Paul, as a father, keeps saying, no, this is the best way. This is the right way. And again, you've got a mix of Jews and Greeks, and all kinds of background. And so chapter 3, he's speaking about this competence. Let's check this out in verse 4. Such is this confidence we have through Christ before God. It is not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. He has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So we're going to continue in verse 7, but check this out. With timing and with seasons, do you realize the entire Old Testament, the entire functioning system for God Almighty with his people, the great I Am, he functioned through judges, and then he focused through, functioned through kings and, and priests and prophets, through the law, through a system that had been poured out to show them you need me. That's the nature of the law. Abraham was a man of faith that walked in faith and believed God as righteousness. So he lived by faith. Then you see in Exodus with Moses, this system comes in after slavery in Egypt. Going through a bit of the history if you don't know it yet. After slavery in Egypt, there's a whole system, a whole law that comes into place in order for the people to have safety, to have laws, to have hygiene, to have government. All of Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, all that stuff is there to build a government. Okay? Yeah. It's there to build a system, to build a structure, to build a civilization around. And then there were kings and priests and prophets that helped put it into place through the years. And, and Paul somehow then says the letter of the law kills you're kind of like, but, but Paul, it was there for generations. Anybody else think this way with me? Sometimes you do this with God. Why did it work then, but it doesn't work now? Why was it appropriate then and beautiful then, but it's not appropriate and beautiful now? What changed? And I don't know what answer you've got from the king, but generally he says, my time changed, my season changed, my purpose changed, and it's always about him. So you can't necessarily govern it in your way without knowing his perspective. Are you with me? Is that making sense? So when Paul, a man anointed by the Spirit, chosen as a a vessel, an instrument to suffer for my name's sake, that was his call, right? The one who was faithful to the letter of the law. The one who was faithful to the king through the doctrine, through the truth, through the law. 
had a revelation in a time and a season that brought him a perspective that was beyond. Do you see? The law is truth. But it's not all truth. All truth is the person of Jesus and whatever he marks, whatever he says, whatever he decrees. And that gets hard. Because if the person says something, that then the law... Mm, tension. That's why we aren't doing this all on our own, right? We need to be able to walk and ask these questions and, and, and check. And so the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. So what is Paul going to continue from that, okay? Verse 7, now if the ministry that brought death, chiseled in letters on stones, came with glory, so that the Israelites were not able to gaze steadily at Moses' face because of its glory, which was set aside, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry that brought condemnation, so this is the law that tells you you're wrong and you can't do anything to change it. That's what the law did. You came and you killed animals to fix, which you couldn't do yourself, yes? So if it brought condemnation and it had glory, it had blessing from on high for a time and a season, Moses' face shone with glory. You remember that story? He came down off the mountain with the glory tablets, with the law, and people told him to put a veil over his face because they couldn't handle the shining. Do you realize that's what we are meant to do as people who have been in intimacy with God? We are meant to shine. We're meant to make other people uncomfortable. We're meant to make ourselves uncomfortable. When we are in in God's presence, it'll rub things in us that aren't of God. So it says that it had glory. It had a place, this law. The ministry, verse 9 still, the ministry that brings righteousness overflows with even more glory. In fact, now track it, Paul and his run-on sentences and then us trying to get them in English, yes? In fact, what had been glorious is not glorious now by comparison because of the glory that surpasses it. Can you connect that to kingdom and revival? And the last 20 years you've experienced with God have been glorious The last two years you've experienced, they had their element of glory. But what is coming will cause it to look not glorious by comparison. Do you see that phrase? Do you see how that, when we walk into the new seasons, that glory is so much greater. So much greater. But let's go back to (laughs) the people of God who had walked in that law, walked in that understanding. This is where Paul's going, right? For if what was set aside was glorious, verse 11, what endures will be even more glorious. Verse 12, since then we have such a hope. We act with great boldness. Since then, since what? It's like therefore, what's the therefore, therefore when you read? Since why? We have greater glory. Since the Spirit brings life, not the letter that kills. Do you see? That's the element he's working on. That there's a different time and a different season and there's something new for us to embrace that will not look like the old. And there will be a tension in the middle of that. But the question is, will you stay and hold on to the old 
to the ways that are dead and bring death? Or will you open up to the possibility and to the learning and the lessons of new times and new seasons? That's the question here from Papa's heart today. Will you open up? Will you let me give you that hope? Because verse 12, from that hope, such a glorious hope, we use and we have great boldness. How many of us have been praying for boldness? Honestly, I'm going to wait till you. I think a lot of us have been praying for boldness. We've been asking God for opportunities. We've been saying, I want to see you move. I want to have impact with my friends. I want to have impact with my kids' um, families and, and school atmospheres, yeah? Verse 13, we are not like Moses, who put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from gazing steadily until the end of the glory of what was being set aside. Do you get that? Moses hid the glory. So that tells me one of the greatest men called a friend of God, one of the greatest leaders, Christian leaders, one of the greatest, he was responsible for the exodus, right? He met with God, and yet what was his tendency? To hide that encounter because it was too much. I don't want to overwhelm the Israelites. I don't want to cause issues, and if this is too bright for them, then we'll just hide it. I don't know if God told him to put a veil on. From this verse, I would think probably not. I think he put a veil on to appease the people who didn't want to see him shine. And I wonder, are we ready to shine? In whatever way God would ask us to shine, because shining looks different on different people. Yeah? Your shine is not the same as my shine. But shine. Because here it says, Moses put that veil on, and then verse 14. These are crazy verses, guys. But their minds were hardened. So God's people, the people of Israel, the ones who encountered him and knew him and had access to him, were hardened to the truth of who he is and to the time and the season of what he had. For to this day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains. It is not lifted because that veil is only set aside in Christ. To this day, the same veil remains. It is not lifted because it is only set aside in Christ. Again, that intimacy, that place of honor and witness with Jesus. Check out 15. Yet still, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. So I know that we know these verses, but have you ever caught the fact that the veil remains when the law is your understanding, is your measure? The veil remains when the letter of the law is your portion. Because when Moses is read, and Moses is equivalent to the law. And the letter of the law. Again, we're just reading the letter. But you're catching the heart of the author as you read out the letter. Yeah? But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of God. 
and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now again, if we just highlight passages like we tend to do, I love that verse. Yeah, getting into the word where the Spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. That's what that tattoo is all about. The spirit and the dove of the spirit and the freedom of God and where there's life and unveiled faces and we get so passionate. But do you see the context? Paul is championing and saying, please do not get stuck in the time and the season that was the law when I've declared over you, veils are removed, old is gone and the new has come, let's move. And what's crazy is for every generation that looks different. I was thinking about Robert Slairdon a couple of weeks ago. He shared that story at the end about the hippies and the awakening of the hippies. Thank you. The Jesus movement in the late 70s or early 80s, something that. And coming to me, that idea that for that generation, for that movement, there was a breakthrough of beyond what you would think. People met him on drugs and just saw Jesus and said, Jesus said, do you want to help me? And they said, yeah, I'll help you. And then they became evangelists, talking about just helping Jesus. There was no doctrine. There was no understanding. There was no, but what came after was let's grow them. Let's teach word. Let's, because the times and the seasons and the way that God moves, they are met by him. And if you're at all like me or at all like a lot of the Western world, we love to put our hand on the season and mark how it should go, right? This is how I like it. This is how I want it. This is how we've done it for 50 years. So it will be how we do it for the next 50. And it's a beautiful commitment and it's a beautiful discipline, just like the people of Israel. It's stunning, the heart for the father. But when the father is saying, there's more, there's greater glory. There are veils that I want to remove. And your veils are different than my veils. And then there's some veils that are over the entire body of Christ. And so for about three or four years now, yeah, because that's where this this word of veils started coming to me. And I've been asking God weekly, really, if not daily. If it's a different season, I say, God, what veil is blocking my perception of you? What veil is keeping me from moving forward? What veil? Because that question is when I actually turn to the Lord. Do you see that key? It doesn't mean that I reject the history. It doesn't mean that I reject the truth of God and the movement through his people. You don't start doing your own thing. I'm not talking about that crazy and that rebellion. And I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, God, you said this in your word and I don't get it. I don't understand it. So if I have a veil of religion, if I have a veil of rebellion, if I have a veil of self-protection, if I have a veil of insecurity, if I have a veil of abuse or addiction, that that's the, that's the way I see everything. Yeah? That is the way that I see everything. And you know what's beautiful? If you remember the last time I spoke, we talked about standing in victory and living in victory and the fact that from that intimacy, the, the beautiful fullness of relationship is the bride of Christ and being the bride of Christ. And when veils are removed, you think about today people sometimes do and do not wear veils, but I love the tradition of the fact that you walk down the aisle with these, these veils that are covering your face. And then when you get to the front, you are unveiled to see your beloved. And that is what Jesus is doing with this. 
I really feel like that's something God spoke to me about this. I want to unveil your eyes. And whenever one turns to the Lord, your veil is removed. So turn to me and let me show you these veils, April. Beautiful sons and daughters, let me show you these veils. Because sometimes we're running in circles with a strategy that is not for this time and this season. I personally have a lot of, of, I have a lot of warrior in me. It's been trained through years, yeah? You've seen that if you've been around me at all. I like to fight. I've learned to fight. I love to wage war. I have those pictures. I have arrows. I have weapons. That is how I see myself, like Joan of Arc. That's just what God has trained in me, yeah? And you know what? Since I've come to Wales, one of the hardest things about seasons personally, is that I have heard Papa again and again. He's talking to a veil. You see yourself as a fighter, and yes, you are my warrior. But you're a daughter first, and a daughter sits, and a daughter waits, and a daughter enjoys. And I have struggled through that season, which is why at the beginning I said, I'm not ready to give this word. But to share that fight of attention to, to not attack everything is brand new for me. And God says, that's what you did, and that's what you conquered, and you needed that in a time and a season, and you've worked in that. But it will kill you if you live the next 20 years of your life with that mentality. You will miss everything that I want to give you. And that's where I mean, that's, that's not laid out in Scripture, let me deal with this veil. That's one that I found in intimacy with God. And it's not one that's going. I've known of it for about a year. And it's pretty stubborn, and I'm pretty stubborn, and we go, and we talk, and and I say, please take it away, Lord. So it's that journey. Does that make sense? Because I want, I want to give a key so that you can grab the importance of the season and the time that we're going into. Because the same way we're praying for revival and we're seeking and we're, we're moving there. I want to go to Daniel. This is where we're going to close and, and then just let Jesus do what he wants to do. This passage has come out like three times in the last week in intercessions. It's beautiful. Daniel 2. It's such a powerful truth. Because you think about Daniel. He was a man who was in royalty, in nobility, and he was taken to a foreign place. Times and season changed. You think he could have gotten angry. He could have gotten confused. He could have walked away from his faith. He could have fit in with the crowd and done what everybody else did. But he, you read the whole story, and his life was a life of faithfulness and commitment and unveiling so he could know who God is. To the point where, if you don't know this story, go read it because it's crazy. This, this king has a dream, Nebuchadnezzar, one of the most powerful kings in the world that moment, king of Babylon. He had a dream and he was so angry about this dream that he brought in all his officials and nobody could tell him what it meant. So he made it even more extreme, this king, because, you know, kings do that. He said, you know what? I'm fed up with all of you. None of you actually have answers, so I want you to tell me what I dreamed and what it means or I'm going to kill you all. What kind of unrealistic expectation is that? Tell me what I dreamed and what it means or you all die. He was not a man of God. There were some crazy kings of God as well. but Can, can you imagine? And Daniel's response to that why I say there's a time where we need to be ready for these things. Because Daniel got him and his guys praying because he didn't want other people to die when his God knew the secrets. 
he trusted that his God knew. He trusted that he could get the answer. How many of us would have that audacity? Most of us would stand in and and give statistics and recognition and give him a study on the fact that you can't actually know that and that's not That's our, our realm of understanding, right? But what did Daniel do? Verse 19. The mystery was then revealed to Daniel in a vision at night, and Daniel praised the God of our heavens and declared, verse 20, May the name of God be praised forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. 21. He changes the times and seasons. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Verse 22, he reveals the deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with him. I offer thanks and praise to you, God of my fathers, because you have given me wisdom and power. And now you have let me know what we have asked of you, for you have let us know the king's mystery. And then again in 29, I don't think I gave this, but 29, your majesty, this is when he's talking to the king. These are the moments that that we've heard are coming for the body of Christ, for sons and daughters. And the question is, are we ready for that time shift? Are we ready to get rid of the veils to actually believe these things are possible? That's my question. Would you believe that if someone came onto the, the street, ran into you and said, I need breakthrough for something, I need life, I need hope, would you be Christ in you, the hope of glory that could then say, Your majesty, while you were in your bed, thoughts came to your mind above what will happen in the future. The revealer of mysteries has let you know what will happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have more wisdom than anyone living, but in order that the interpretation might be made known to the king and you may understand the thoughts of your mind. You see, the servant of the Lord was concerned with the things of the Lord. And the Lord had poured out a crazy vision on this all-powerful king. And so Daniel wasn't concerned with his glory or his place or his role. He just said, hey, Mr. King, let me help you out. And just for you to know, I'm not any better than any of your wise men. I'm just connected to the one who knows all things. That's what boldness looks like. Are you with me? That's what boldness looks like. To the point where when he's done talking, I love this sentence. He tells the whole dream, and then in verse 45, the dream is certain, and its interpretation is reliable. That boldness that we heard about in Corinthians. How many of us would walk into, the dream is certain. I know I got every piece right because I'm in the throne room with my papa. I know intimacy. I'm listening to him. It's not cocky. It's not proud. It's confident in who I am as a son and a daughter of the king. Because it's been grown in the fire of intimacy. And we might say that we want that, but you can't get that without the fire, brothers and sisters. We can't get that without moving through the pain. So the question might be, is my veil pain? Is my veil wounds? Is my veil what is blocking that intimacy and that, that walk that I want with the Father because the promise is we go from glory to glory, season to season. Season to season. I'll leave this final thought and then we'll see where we go with just waiting on God. But 
as everybody went back to school this term. It just hit me, and again, such an obvious way, and maybe parents, you've seen this or learned this, but it, it caught me in a different way this year. You know, Daniela is now in reception, right? She's in her first year of school, and certain of the youth, they moved into secondary school, and a lot of the ones who had graduated now started uni, and our lives are all marked by seasons. There's so many that have not had babies, and in the next couple of weeks, they're going to have babies. They're never going back to not being parents. And even now, they're caring. They are moms and dads. The sense that life is marked by seasons. And sometimes we miss it. We just, we have that veil of ignorance or that veil of just, just the way it is. Another year, another this, another that. I don't think the Hebrews walked that way. There was an awareness of the seasons and the cycles and the times. And you remember Stu's word a couple of weeks ago. September 30th is coming, the new year in the Jewish series, uh, in the calendar, and a new decade, a new time. It's not status quo anymore. And a lot of us love, we love to have things organized. We love to have things understood. We love to have things mapped out. And it is a key of strategy and the beyond, being able to push into the new that God would want to pour out on us. And it really is as simple as Daniela started reception and there's no going back. Now she goes to school every day. Uh, Again, exposing, Lyra shares the story, so I don't think it's a problem. But she said one day, you know, I don't don't know that I like going to school every day. There's too many people there. that's, That's the expression of a daughter dealing with the new process, dealing with the new change. And there's that grace in the transition that really does just make me want to weep when I'm just with, like, how are you so good that we're terrified? <laughs> and you're just like, it's okay. Next step, next step, next step. So whether it's marriage, whether it's children, whether it's new school, new work, or whether it's revival is coming, are we ready? <laughs> it's all with Papa God. And we are more than able to do this with him. Yeah? So I just want to, if worship team wants to come and just, Listen to him for a little bit and see where we're going to go.